So I was cooking dinner the other night when a fuse blew and the lights in my kitchen went out. I hope you have a gas stove. Thankfully I do, but as I went to flip the switch to reset the power in my kitchen, I was thinking about what happens when the power goes out for the whole neighborhood, not just my kitchen. Totally. When utility workers are up fixing power lines, what are they doing? Yeah, and how do they know which things to fix first? Hello and welcome back to Behind the Switch, in episode two of What Happens When the Grid Goes Dark. I'm Spencer Fields. And I'm Andrew Grandall. In episode one, we sat down with Synapse Energy Economics CEO Bruce Bewald to learn more about a simple question, what causes blackouts? We learned a lot and came away with a more nuanced understanding of how our world is powered. There's no doubt the stability of our electrical grid plays an important role in our day-to-day activities, and we depend on utility companies to keep the power on even when the weather has other ideas. In episode two, we're going to take a look into what goes into bringing power back online after a local power outage. Bob Fagan is a principal associate at Synapse Energy Economics and also has worked for utility companies in the past. He's familiar with just about every angle of grid reliability, and we can't think of anyone better to explain what goes into bringing power back online after an outage. What needs to happen to bring power back online? Who is responsible for repairs and how do workers stay safe? We sat down with Bob for a conversation to get some answers. So Bob, after a local outage, what's the first thing that needs to happen? Well, the first thing that occurs is they, they receive the information that tells them there's an outage. And they may uh, receive that information sort of traditionally through phone calls, but uh, uh, more frequently uh, these days uh, they have automatic indicators. They may be meters that are indicating to them that there's no power at a particular location, or they may be uh, indicators from their substations that indicated a circuit breaker has opened. Uh, So there's both uh, automated and uh, sort of manual indicators that something is wrong. Um, The first thing that they have to do is they have to gauge the problem. Um, uh, Many times the problems are are highly uh, isolated, highly localized. It may be a single residence or a single building uh, and the problem is caused by uh, an animal or a tree branch, for example. With events like what recently happened in Massachusetts, where you have sort of a wider spread uh, minor storm, there's going to be a lot of tree branches that are going to take um, wires of different sizes and different voltages down. And you're going to get a lot of, uh, of uh, fuses, fuses that get blown or circuit breakers that get opened up, and the outages would be a little bit more widespread. Uh, so the first thing that electric utility companies have to do is just gauge the, the scale of the problem. Um, for isolated incidents, uh, utilities provide uh, 24-7 coverage usually, so they may just send uh, a line crew out to a particular location once they've identified just where the, where the problem is. Um, for for response to, to storms, minor storms, they may have a lot of crews already on standby prepared for the, for the more widespread uh, uh, trees downing power lines that are, that occurs, uh, and, and then they just they send those crews out, and there's a sort of a, a you know communication network, cell phones, radios, so they uh, and they just keep track, and the crews know where they're going, and they usually start with uh, trying to uh, recover as many customers as soon as possible. Uh, often that might mean that they'll. Uh, a feeder might have gone out, uh, you know, a feeder might, might serve, you know, many hundreds 
uh, or even thousands of customers, and they try to bring that back before they would send a line crew to a single dwelling, for example, if a, if a wire was pulled down from a house. So they have to gauge the, uh, the, the scale of the outage uh, and essentially deploy uh, uh, line crews is, is really what, what they're doing, and then uh, do that in a systematic and an organized fashion. And that's, that's what happens you know, every time they have to deal with a, a storm event. Once utility workers have assessed the damage, how do they prioritize repairs? Um, I, I, I think that there may be some priority given to uh, any kind of um, uh, you know, medical, medical or, or uh, uh, you know, first responder facilities that need to be brought back. Uh, obviously, they would try to give priority to, to hospitals or to police and fire stations, for example. Um, but other than that level of prioritization, they're going to try to bring as many people back as quickly as possible. Um, uh, so I think it's those things work in, in combination. Uh, uh, you know, they, they would give priority to that. And they do identify systematically uh, circuits where there are priority needs. So not only do they understand you know, where the hospitals and the fire stations and the police stations are, they also understand uh, uh, that there may be certain locations and certain feeders uh, that have uh, uh, customers who have you know an urgent need for electricity and and I think with different degrees of um, uh, of detailed information you know they, they, they may know that they need to bring this feeder back before that feeder or that there's a particular cluster at a certainly you know elderly housing for example uh, is, is going to be on their radar radar more so than, than regular suburban developments what are the main dangers with repairs uh, the main danger is electrocution. Uh, the, there is a, a, a complex system uh, in place to ensure um, worker safety associated with, with restoration. Um, uh, when I, a long time ago, when I worked for an electric utility, uh, you would have to learn uh, you know, certain systems of, of, um, of keeping track of, of what switches are open and what switches are closed and sequences of operations to, to uh, make sure that uh, a different uh, crew doesn't uh, accidentally uh, close a circuit breaker or close a switch that might energize a circuit where someone may be doing some work. So, so it's sort of a combination of, of uh, training and knowledge about just what it is the line crew is dealing with, whether or not they're dealing with 120 volt or a 240 volt household wire uh, versus if they're dealing with a 4,000 volt or a 12,000 volt or perhaps a 34,000 volt circuit. So there's, uh, and, the, and the line crews know this. They, they understand what they're, what they're dealing with. That's part of their, their training um, uh, and their understanding of the system. Uh, but they just take proper precautions. For example, the bucket trucks that you see out there um, are regularly tested to make sure that when the bucket truck is up in the air, the bucket that the line crew person is in is actually uh, insulated from the ground so that even if a wire were to touch that bucket, uh, it, it is protected. In mm-hmm. addition to the line personnel themselves you know, wearing a rubberized glove um, so that anytime they do come in contact with the wire, uh, they are they are protected, and sometimes they're working with wires that are live, or, and oftentimes they're working with wires that are not live when they're doing their repair. The wires don't become live until until the repair is completed, and they close the switch in. Uh, but generally, they you know 
you treat everything as as live unless you have gotten certainty that it is that it indeed has been has been um, de-energized and then there's even steps they take when they're doing repairs where they attach something called a, a ground which would make sure that if somebody did accidentally energize a line while they were working on it they have effectively short-circuited that line so that they wouldn't necessarily get uh, hurt if, if an accident like that occurred so there's multiple levels of safety to ensure um, uh, prevention of electrocution. So when there's a significant storm and there's extensive damage, is there a point where local governments step in to help fund repairs? The short answer is it's the utility's responsibility. Uh, I mean, some, some utilities are, municipal utilities, for example, um, are under the auspices of the local government. But generally, all of this is done um, uh, by the electric utility, most electric utilities are regulated at the state level, if unless they're a municipality. Um, but regardless of whether it is a state regulator or a, a, a municipality, uh, there's processes in place to, for the utility to keep track of its costs during an unusual event when there's storms and they need to buy a lot more equipment and they need to uh, uh, pay crews. Uh, and perhaps sometimes uh, have crews come in from outside the area, that's tracked. You know, there's standard accounting measures to keep track of all that. Eventually it finds its way back to the, to the regulator or the town council if it's a municipality, uh, and those costs are, are folded into, the, into, the, into rates. So ultimately everybody pays for uh, restoration of services and, and the impact of storms, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Having worked previously for utilities, what do you wish people understood about the process of restoring power? I, I think it, it's probably frustrating when the duration of the outages uh, is more than a few hours or more than a few days in the event of, of a long storm. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's proper for, for folks to sort of balance that patience with an understanding that uh, utility companies have resources to make sure they deploy crews in a timely way to get the power back on. Um, and, and you know, and it's it, it's fair for ratepayers and for regulators to keep a sort of a careful eye on, on those expenditures and the preparations that utilities make, and and we see that regularly when, when regulators uh, will ask questions and bring the utility to task if it's taking uh, uh, too long to bring the power back. Any final thoughts, Bob? Um, no, I, I think it is just to, to just to sort of. Uh, put a point on it. There's a there's a range of causes of, of when you see outages on the, on the distribution system, and I think generally we're talking about distribution system outages as opposed mm-hmm. to transmission system outages. Those are sort of two different animals because the transmission network is is a uh, there's more redundancy and there's and there's uh, more protection from falling branches. For example, on the transmission system, it, it's much more of a rare occurrence when you have major transmission. Uh, problems that cause outages. Almost everything that's experienced by customers are distribution system outages. And uh, it's tree branches, it's squirrels, it's lightning, it's car accidents hitting poles. Uh, Those are the the standard things. Occasionally it's equipment failures also. Um, and, And oftentimes those result in one or two or three or four or five houses. Sometimes they result in a whole neighborhood going down depending upon the the uh, extent of the distribution network at the point of the problem. Um, but it's it's all fairly straightforward stuff. And um, stay away, never touch a wire that's down. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Switch. Be sure to join us again two weeks from now when we discuss what goes into restoring power after large-scale blackouts like those caused by hurricanes in the U.S. this year. In the meantime, don't miss the Climbable Good News Minute, a bi-weekly roundup of positive developments in the world of energy and technology. If you'd like to know more about either of our sponsors, Synapse Energy Economics and Climable, check out our websites at synapse-energy.com and climable.org, or follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Behind the Switch.